Welcome to Ignite Your Confidence for women in leadership who want to speak up and stand out. I'm your host, Karen Laus. Here you'll get all of the tips and tools that you need to stand out with unshakable confidence. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's episode is with my new friend, Maggie Landes. She's incredible, quite an inspiration. And I don't know anybody that has said cancer was the best gift that I could have ever been given. Stay tuned to hear her story. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Maggie Landes is a board certified physician, public health nutritionist, and anti-diet wellness expert who created her signature Get Eat Fluenced coaching program to help women who are exasperated with chronic dieting be able to fix their food overwhelm and live more contentedly through an undieted approach to eating. She's also the creator and host of the Eat Fluencer podcast, where she and her guests dig into the mindset work required to construct a healthy, complete, and high-quality life outside of diet culture. Here's Maggie. I cannot wait to talk with you today, Maggie. So welcome to the couch. Well, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Yay. Well, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, I mean, you know this, you, you, you're a physician, you've got so much expertise and all of these things that underlie our issues as women around the self-doubt. And you know, that's exactly what I'm about as well. So that's where I thought right. this intersected so beautifully. So I'd love to hear your thoughts just in general on the issues that women face related to self-doubt and finding their confidence. Well, sort of my, where my mission I see intersects with yours is that one of the reasons, and maybe I would argue one of the major reasons that women have trouble um, finding their voice and being confident is because of our diet culture. And I want to explain that just for a second, because that may not be a term that your audience like has heard thrown around very much. Um, but when we say diet culture, we're not talking about like a diet, like, you know, the whatever keto diet or the Weight Watchers diet. We're talking about the, the social system of beliefs that we have in our culture in, in the United States and many other sort of westernized countries where um, dieting is sort of ex an expected part of womanhood and that we are presumed to want to shrink our bodies and that we should you know, we have like an obligation to pursue weight loss and manage our body shape um, to the point where, it, this is where it comes to your, you know, sphere, intersects your sphere, is that it's become so distracting and so the pressure to be small is not only physical, it becomes our character. And we have trouble managing all those expectations and being and, and finding an ability to be confident. And I say confident in, you know, our appearance and our, um, the way we show up, but also in the way we speak and the way we act professionally, the way we manage our families, our relationships. I think it goes to any layer, you know, and I think it really, it's a lot of it starts for us when we are little girls and we're basically told that smaller is better and that's your role and you should want to be that basically yeah. in a nutshell. And I, I, yeah, totally. And that's exactly what it was for me growing up. My mom was always a little bit overweight and went to Weight Watchers off and on. And I, it's just, it is. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're all faced with this. What were you going to say? Well, and I, you know, I didn't even have, you know, a, 
quote weight problem as a child. But when I went to, you know, I, I'd say maybe like middle school or something, of course, this is like in the eighties. So everybody dieted. You just, it was just normative. You, mm-hmm. you drank slim fast and, and counted calories and carried around that little handbook. You know, this was what long before the iPhone. So you had to carry around the little handbook with the calorie king or whatever. Um, you just did it. That was like, I thought that's what made me a 17 year old girl. Like that sort of defined who you are. And we, it's one of those things where you're in the culture so deep, you don't realize that there is any other way to even think about food and body image, because this is all we've really known for many of us that are now in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was like a weird destiny thing or an expected thing for me to join Weight Watchers. And I wasn't even necessarily significantly overweight. Again, when I look back, I think, oh my gosh, it was just, again, a pattern. Like my mom went. And so then I went. And for me, I think about how I was never overweight enough because I was very athletic in high school and I was on the tennis team and all of that. But it was, I was never overweight enough that there was a compelling reason to change that, like to really go for it. But on the other hand, I just always felt that pull of, okay, I should be, like you said earlier, just the, the word should is such a thing. I, one of my friends says, I should have had a should have box. <laughs> because yeah. we, say, we say should way too much, but yeah. how, can we, how can we get past this? Well, the first, I mean, the first thing when I'm working with women and I, I say women, this, it's not that this exclusively affects women, but this is the popu- population I'm, you know, kind of interested in close to. But the first thing is to actually have an awareness that this is a social construct. This is not like, like, it's not your fault that this is how you think, like you're not guilty of something. This is, this is where you have had your ideas about femininity and, um, you know, self-image they're kind of programmed into you. So to be aware that like, really letting, giving permission to be like, it's okay to say, you know what, this isn't very comfortable to me. And I would like to find another way to do it and not feel bad. Cause see, that's the first thing is a lot of people just, that's a, that's also a woman thing to just feel guilty about the way you think or, you know, something. So um, that's really the first step is to just give yourself some compassion and a little permission to be like, okay, you know what? There might be another way to think about this. And I'm going to give myself permission to investigate it. And if that's as far as you can go comfortably right now, that's fine. You know, that's the first sort of step. And to know that, um, you know, all this shame that people carry with their body image and their, their confidence, I really think, and I'd be interested to hear your sort of tie between your self-image and your body image, because I think they're so tightly, uh, you know, linked in women, particularly in women that, um, you know, they feel like they can't do anything uh, because their body isn't what it, you know, quote, should or is expected to be. And, you know, it's interesting, my story, because I sort of found my voice and my confidence in coming into my passion is helping other women find theirs in the, in the means, you know, my sort of method is to get them out of diet culture. And that's, I know that's your whole mission too, is to ignite confidence and uh, you know, that sort of thing. And 
I, there, it's going to take a lot of chipping away at the decades of sort of training to smallness, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, there's just this expectation that we should be physically small and we should have our voices be small and we should have our impact be small. And that is, of course, not true. And right. so, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I'm so enamored to meet women like you who are like really like confidence advocates. I mean, I don't even know what, how you describe yourself, but I love that. I might have to start using that. Well, I really believe that I'm a champion for sure for, for women to step into their confidence. I talk about that a lot with, with my clients and just people that I interact with because we all have it, but you're right. This whole oh, I need to be smaller, play small. The, the thing is that I, the women I talk to, they're always like waiting to do what they really want to do or be who they really want to be until they fill in the blank, lose so much weight, fit into that dress, you know, uh, get, have a boyfriend, what, whatever the whole thing is. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't think there's a lot of value in waiting. You know, if you've got something in you to give now, there's no guarantee, number one, that you're going to have any time left because we're not in charge of that. Um, and it, you know, what I tell people is that you are already like, think about this. You're already somebody else's after, after, <clears throat> excuse me. And I have a huge problem with the before and after pictures. That's a whole other podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you say I can't be confident, intelligent, get a promotion, start a relationship, whatever the thing you want is until I do this. Okay. Well, you know, somebody else is saying that about themselves and they're looking at you as the after you're somebody else's after. Mm. And so to presume that changing your body, shrinking your body, those things are going to come to you. And those feelings of confidence and empowerment are going to suddenly just come. It's not true. It's not true. You have to be those things first, and then you might adopt some patterns of behavior and self-care that, you know, get you to this other shape. But frankly, the shape doesn't make a difference. That's kind of my whole teaching is that it's irrelevant, you know, that there's, there's people that have health at any size. There's people that have value at any size, and we need to like decouple our value from our shape and size. But the waiting is something people get stuck on. And I'm sure your women are like resonating with that because we're always waiting until, and I did the same thing. And I'm saying this like an expert, but honestly, up until I really studied this stuff, you do the same thing. You're like, okay, well, I want to be a public speaker, but I, I really want to be on stage until I can wear a smaller size clothes or until I, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, I can still remember how I used to buy clothes that were too small for me as a motivator to lose weight, but yeah. I didn't end up losing the weight anyway. And it, all it was is living in some potential future that I thought I would want, but it just ended up making me feel badly about myself constantly seeing that thing. And that really hindered me. Yeah, well, it does. And it's, it's not just the mental either, because all that self-doubt and, and shaming and sort of negative internal dialogue, it affects your physiology too. And that's where my clinical background, I'm like, no, you're not only just like in a bad mood and, and, 
angry at yourself that you can't fit into your little teeny tiny pants, we're you're actually increasing your stress hormones. You're increasing your cortisol. You're increasing your blood pressure. You're, so all these things that you think you're doing on account of health, and I'm doing air quotes, health, you know, are actually a, a doing a disservice to your health. So wow. you get in this cycle. So then what's the, so when you, you know, don't achieve whatever you think you can do with your body, I mean, really your body is not immediately in your control, truthfully. That's what I teach my women is that, you know, let's talk about things that you can actually do. There's not a single one of us that can sit here in this chair and like will ourselves to be smaller or bigger or blonder or have brown eyes or whatever. You just can't. So um, we need to sort of accept our diversity a little bit and then, you know, pick things that feel um, aligned with our goals that are actionable. Because mm -hmm. Losing weight truthfully is not really an actionable item, even though that's like the top of the action list for probably like 90% of women in the United States, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So people get stuck. It's a lot of kind of stuckness. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend someone do to get unstuck? To get unstuck. Well, that's good. I, if I could say that quickly, I would love it. But, <laughs> you know, like I said, the first step is to, is the permission to know that you don't need to be upset with yourself. I mean, that's the first thing is that this diet culture is massive. This is a behemoth cultural construct that you did not invent. It is not your fault. So stop the self-shaming negative dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, you know, pick at, like when somebody says they want to lose weight, I, you have to get to what that is. And so what I ask them to do is to say, why? Okay. And this is, I think you're corporate. You probably know this. It's like, isn't this like the six Sigma or some Sigma, something, something where you ask why, then you ask why, then you ask why yeah. you keep asking. Peeling back the layers of the onion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, you want to lose weight. Why? Well, because I want to, um, you know, uh, have more energy. Why? Because I want to be able to coach my kid's soccer team. Okay. Why? Well, because I want my son to think I'm an involved invested parent. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay. So let's make a list of all the things we can do that make your son feel like you're an involved invested mother that, and don't write anything on this piece of paper that says I need to lose however many pounds. And we kind of get to like the root of it, you know, and that's just a, that's just an example, but there's always something under it. There's always something under it. So you don't, nobody really wants to lose weight just because they like another number over another number. We're not picking like numbers. We have, the, like you said, the, what's the term you use that um, compelling motivation. Yeah. I was yeah. So we're, that's really what it comes down to is we're getting to the compelling reason that you're saying that that's just a cover. Honestly, the weight is just a cover for something else that you want to change. So let's, Let's just kind of like lay that to the side. And the fact that you feel that way, that's, that's the, that's kind of the two parts is to let them know that I see why you feel that way and that's okay. And that's the first thing I do is kind of validate that with my, my clients or the women I work with, because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get very far with somebody when I say, oh, Karen, don't even bother losing weight. It doesn't even matter. Your weight doesn't matter. You've got value. Just forget all about it. Like right. you're not. This doesn't land anywhere if you have been living in diet culture for 40 or 50 years. So um, to really say, I know why you have those feelings. Let me tell you why you have those feelings. And it's not your fault. And all that being said, now we got to pack that up and kind of put it to the side and pick some real actionable items that will be in alignment with what you want to do, which looks different for everybody. That's the whole point. That's why these 
sort of universal, you know, take this pill, do this plan, buy this app, whatever. Um, there's not one magic thing that somehow you haven't found. I mean, don't you think if there was like an answer to this, we, right. wouldn't, exactly. we wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I think it's that whole, we all know what we need to do. It's that, I, I love this book out of uh, that Pfeffer and Sutton wrote out of Stanford called The Knowing Doing Gap. Why do we know that we it's best to do something, but we don't like flossing our teeth or eating healthier. And yet the, the thing is, is that we, it's, it's not a shortage of knowledge and information. It really right. does come down to the root of, like you said, you know, what is the reason? What is the why? And the whole idea of how you feel about yourself. And it, it, even right. you said before, reminded me of the classic example of, let's say an older generation that would keep the plastic on the furniture or, oh, we're not gonna use our good silverware until this happens. It's if we're waiting for some perfect day that's gonna exist and we've gotta live now and thrive now. Right, and, and you know, the, the magic part of it is when you get your head in the right space, your body will do what it's designed to do. The human body is, is designed to work. I mean, it really is just designed to work and you can you know, think that for a myriad of reasons, but um, we just got to get out of the way and quit thinking, overthinking it and trying to micromanage something that is frankly like out of our control. And so you get your head in the right place. And that's what I tell the women that come to me. I'm like, okay, listen, here's the deal. I know it says nutrition coach on my website, but this is like a 99% mind work. And then like 1% nutrition science, because I know you're not hiring me to teach you what a protein is and what vitamin D does. You can go Google that on the internet for free tomorrow. Um, you need somebody to mentor you through this sort of mindset transformation because it's, that's what we need. We all need to do. And it's a process. I mean, I'm still doing it. I still, I work in this field and I still have to deliberately, you know, not uh, reflect all that external diet culture noise onto my own thoughts. I have, I really have gotten pretty good at separating it, but it's until the culture changes. I mean, that's my other mission, but that's going to take a little bit of time <laughs> to like change the culture. I have a 13 year old daughter and I hope that when she's, you know, 45 years old, she's not having the same conversation with somebody, but um, you know, that's, that's like a massive grassroots effort, but on a, just an individual level is to just know that there's another way of thinking and it's okay to, um, start investigating that and being curious and, um, reading, following people, you know, clean up your Instagram feed. My word, if you, all you see is diet people prancing around in their, you know, workout clothes and selling you pills, that's all you'll think there is. So right. you have to, um, you know, have a open mind that there is something else and you'll be more confident when you start to see other people doing it. Mm. I mean, that's where it comes back to the confidence is you're not alone in wanting to do this. There's hundreds of millions of women that want to do this. They just don't really know if, that they want to do this, but they do. Ooh, I like that. I like that vocal emphasis on this. Well, tell us your story because you had a significant thing that happened to you when you were 40 years old. Yes. Well, we all have significant things, right? But, um, you know, some people get fancy uh, jewelry or go on a nice trip for their 40th birthday or something. I got cancer, um, not the gift I was expecting or looking for. I was diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma 
uh, two months after my 40th birthday. I was actually sick on my birthday, but it took a while for them to figure out what was going on. But let me tell you what, Karen, um, I'm now four years in remission. My health is good. I don't want anybody to be worried about me on, on your listeners, but um, that was the best gift I could have gotten. That was better than a cruise or a ring or something like like really that sort of, I feel like God sort of forced a pause on my life to give me the opportunity to recreate the next half or more of my life. Wow. I mean, because, can stop for a moment and say, what perspective, what perspective? It's just incredible. Yeah. It's and incredible. I, I probably wasn't saying that when I spent 42 days in the hospital getting chemotherapy and had a six and a nine-year-old child that I had to explain why I lost all my hair and why mommy couldn't do this and that and the other. But, um, in, as with many things that we go through, you know, we don't find the value until later, of course. And I just, I really believe, and I have honestly always believed I've gone through a divorce. I've gone through other challenges that, I mean, it's, it's our choice if we want to look at it as a obstacle or an opportunity. And if, you know, and it's okay to look at it as an opportunity that doesn't take away Um, the necessity for grief or sadness or recovery or whatever the issue is. But, you know, at some point it's like, okay, our life is what we created every day, every hour. So as long as I want this to be a negative experience, it's going to be a negative experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have the choice to change that. So what, you know, to sort of fast forward, because I know this isn't like a whole, you know, biography documentary (laughs) I, um, I changed my career because of it. Truthfully, I realized I'm a physician. I've been a physician for 19 years and that I was, you know, climbing the ladder and doing all the high achieving doctor things that doctors do. And I just felt like it wasn't it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't regret doing it. I love the practice of medicine, but I didn't feel complete. There was something else and I wasn't sure what the something exactly was, but as it turns out and through some, you know, personal study and I went back to grad school and all this other crazy, you know, uh, mania sort of <laughs> activity, um, I found this and I feel like pursuing this passion and furthering this mission, that's, that will make me complete. You know, I hope that God gives me a lot more years and I'm not like, just like done, but I feel like this is what I was meant to do. And maybe this is why people have always said I'm funny and I'm a good speaker and I'm relatable and I'm smart and I like medicine and I like food and I like eating and I'm a little bit overweight. And maybe, maybe all these things are intersecting for like a reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And this is like, this is the reason, you know, yeah. Um, but I had to, I had to let go of a lot of that guilt about not continuing to, you know, sort of practice medicine. Cause that's when you go to all that training, spend all that money, the expectation is that's what you do forever. And you sort of already know at the age of, you know, 25 or 30, like what your career is expected to look like. Mm-hmm. But if that's not a life lesson in, you know what, we got to quit expecting so much. It's not um, linear. Somebody said that the other day in one of our clubhouse rooms, right? It's not linear. Life is not linear. Exactly. exactly. Any single one of your listeners could list half a dozen things that were not expected that happened in their life, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So we all need to just agree that our plans are going to change for a number of reasons. And 
I don't know. So I'm, I think it was a gift. I don't think I would have had that change of heart had I not been forced to stop and be sick. Truthfully. Wow. Um, and how cool that you yeah, had that perspective. What were you going to say? No, that's what I was going to say. It was, I was, I'm glad it happened. Honestly, I say that now I tell people that having cancer at the age of 40 was one of the best things that could have happened. Cause if that happened to me when I was 25, I don't know that I would have had the maturity to grow from it. And if it happened to me when I was 65, I think I would have been like, nah, whatever. I'm almost done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, but being right in that, you know, we look at the number 40, that's such a big number, especially for women. And it was like, okay, this is it. You, you, you do it. This is what you're going to make of it. You know, we can. And so yeah. I think it was like magic, how it happened. Oh you know, it wasn't God. magic. It was like divine intervention. It wasn't magic, but right. Feels like magic. I, like that. I like that. Yeah. I like that divine intervention. Well, Maggie, your story is so powerful and you are so vivacious and I'm so glad that we met. Tell my listeners and watchers, my viewers on YouTube, where they can reach you. Yes. Well, first I have to apologize for your viewers because I'm in Texas here. And so the sun is going down and I know my face has had these weird looks shadows cute. they're going to be like she doesn't have very professional lighting <laughs> well so where they can find me so here this is so easy maggie landis md and that is my website maggielandismd.com that is my handle on instagram facebook twitter clubhouse maggie landis md everywhere and um yeah i i've got lots of resources of course i have you know, I offer coaching and group coaching in a, a membership community, but there are lots and lots and lots of resources and uh, that are no cost, um, especially on my social media, just follow me. And then um, you all point you in the direction of other people. So you don't think I'm the only one doing this. I'm not like the crazy lady that's came up with this. There's actually a whole group of people. We sort of call ourselves the anti-diet professionals. Um, but I'm so happy that uh, maybe some of your listeners will be inspired to at least open their mind to yes. another way so they can ignite their confidence. Yes. So, yeah. yep. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, you know, this dieting business, they need to stop. They ignite their confidence. I love the mission. So I'm so thankful that you invited me. So grateful for the opportunity to share. Well, I'm so glad that you were here, Maggie. You just light up a room. So I'm really grateful and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for All joining right. And that's a wrap of another episode of Ignite Your Confidence. I'm your host, Karen Laus. Thank you so much for listening. If you love today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps other people find the podcast faster, and it certainly helps me. If you're interested in more tips and tools around confidence, please join me over in my Facebook group called Ignite Your Confidence with Karen Laus. Remember, you too can stand out with unshakable confidence.